uh, it's good to be preaching to people. You know, we do what we can and done what we can, you know, over the past month or so and doing some online stuff, which has been some blessings come out of that, I might add. But um, uh, there's nothing like, it's one thing to preach to a camera lens, but it's another thing to preach to people. And so I'm glad uh, to have you all back here this morning and to see your faces. And, uh, and on that note, though, I will uh, say welcome, though, to those of you who are tuning in live. We now... Because of all of this, we are uh, capable of live streaming. Matt and Jennifer did, we did a lot of work. I told them, I said, you guys have done a great job with media ministry over the years. I'm a little hot. I don't know if it's coming. Okay. Um, uh, they've done a great job with the media ministry over the past several years with the projectors and, and the, the website and all that kind of stuff. But I said, yeah, the media ministry is going to be more important now than ever before. And so they worked hard to get everything capable of live streaming. So we're going to continue to live stream because there's still several now that can't, you know, get out, maybe health situations and some people that, that live away, you know, in other states that tune in. So welcome live stream group out there. But I'm glad to see your faces. So here's the thing. You know, it was kind of a joke between me and the other pastors uh, when we were doing the, drive, the drive-in services and everybody would, would honk, you know, whenever they liked what they said, everybody would honk. And so they were joking around and said, well, we're going to, we, they like that. So we're going to get some of those air horns and pass out to church so everybody can honk. And I thought, not me. I'm ready to hear some amens. I'm, a, I'm tired of the honks. I want, I want to hear amens. There's no honk at me this morning. You say amen if, if I say something that you like. And, and even if I say something you don't like, throw me a Okay, it's my it's my first day my first day back you know preaching in front of a live audience. So uh, love you guys. Good good to be back in the house of God this morning. So I'm going to start. If you want to grab your Bible and open it to the book of Luke, uh, is where I'm going to begin this morning. Book of Luke down along the lines of chapter or I mean chapter four and verse verse sixteen. Luke chapter four verse sixteen. And I'm going to read down through verse twenty one and then. Uh, And then we'll pray and get into it this morning. I'm going to be reading from the New King James here today. Verse 16, so he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He went to church. He stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so the title of my message this morning is Cover to Cover. Let's pray. Today, Father, we we love you. As we said already earlier, it was a privilege just to be in your presence and so refreshing for our hearts and our souls to worship you, that despite the situations that we go through personally, God, to know that you're still there, that you're present, an ever-present help in our time of need. And so today, God, as we turn our attention to your word, I just pray for a special anointing of the Holy Spirit today upon me as your vessel. God, that every word you want spoken would be spoken today. God, that you would share your heart with our hearts and that you might draw us each one closer to you through your word. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 Cover to cover. So when you hear somebody use that phrase, that is typically a phrase that implies completion, right? I read that book cover to cover. 
What it means is I, I, didn't, it's not the, I didn't start at the beginning and stop halfway. I didn't start in the middle and just read the last half. I didn't skip pages and skip chapters. When you say I read that book cover to cover, you mean you read, you read it completely. You got the entire, you got the whole story in its entirety, leaving nothing out. And so in this scripture we just read, think about this now. This is pretty cool. Jesus, what, what he's actually saying here, Jesus goes to church he stands up in the synagogue. Somebody brings him a, 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 the, a scroll. Said here is a book of the prophet Isaiah. Same, same Isaiah you've got in your Bible. And Jesus begins to read Isaiah chapter 61. Now, every Sunday before that, the same thing would happen. People would go to the synagogue, Jewish people go to the synagogue to worship God. Somebody would get up and they would open the scroll and they would read something a lot, mostly from Isaiah. And any time before somebody would have read Isaiah 61, they would have said something like this. As they read Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he would explain that ultimately the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. That one day a deliverer will come and save us, they thinking mostly the Jewish people. He'll get rid of these Roman people and we'll, and so he would get up and he would declare the coming Messiah that one day down the road it's gonna happen. But on this Sunday, Jesus gets up, he opens the book, he declares himself to be the topic of the book, and then he closes the book. Amen? He said today as he reads the prophecy of Isaiah. Here's what Jesus, here's what the Messiah will do. He is going to bring liberty, not just liberty from, you know, not from armies, Roman armies, but Jesus, the Messiah, will come and bring spiritual liberty. He will set people free from their sins. He will deliver them from their bondages. He will open the prison door. He will heal the brokenhearted. Ever experienced brokenheartedness? Are you experiencing brokenheartedness now? Jesus declared many, many, many years ago before he ever came to the prophet Isaiah that his ministry will be to heal the brokenhearted and to deliver those who are bound and those who are full of sin to cleanse them and set them free. And Jesus stands up and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, I am that Messiah. I am that deliverer. I am the beginning of the book, I am the end of the book, and I am everything in between. I am the content of the book. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? He began it all, he will end it all, and Jesus declared himself to be that. In, in Revelation, when Jesus appears to John, who had been banished to the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel, and Jesus appears to him there and begins to give him instructions on what he, he should tell the churches. The churches of that day and ultimately the churches of today. We still have the word. It's been preserved so the message still rings true to us. And what Jesus said, what Jesus declared about himself is this. I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus ultimately, if he were talking to us today, would say to us, I am A, I am Z, right? I'm the entire alphabet. He goes on to say, I am the beginning, I am the end. I am the first, I am the last. Who was, who is, and is to come. Jesus declared himself to be cover to cover all that the word of God would declare him to be. Amen? So when we look 
at Genesis. Let's look at, let's look at our book, cover to cover. Look, you pick up your Bible, and every part of it is important, from the cover to the back cover. Genesis to Revelation, it all speaks to Jesus Christ, every bit of it. We can take out little bits and pieces. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. You can take little bits and pieces out here and try to make some sort of religion. Jesus said, that ain't what it's about. It's all about me. It's all about the fact that mankind is condemned to hell, but I loved them too much to let that happen, so I came and died for their sins that they might be with me in eternity. Cover to cover, that's the story. Jesus declared himself to be all of the content in between. Hallelujah. So when you look at the word of God, let's go back to the first front cover. Go back to Genesis. If you go into Genesis 3, 15, there was a prophecy given. God is actually... He's actually talking to the serpent that had deceived Adam and Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. And God is basically declaring this the serpent's punishment, ultimately Satan's punishment, for deceiving the woman. And this was what God said to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed, or your seed and her seed, or your offspring and, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, like in the King James, it capitalizes the word seed. When it says her seed, it capitalizes the word seed. When it says you shall bruise his head, it capitalizes the word his. You know why? You know who God is ultimately talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, Satan, you brought sin into the human race, and that sin's gonna bring about death. They're gonna die because they sinned against me. And there's going to be enmity, but one day I'm the seed of the woman who would be Jesus Christ. He's going to bruise your head. In other words, he's going to come, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to be tortured and suffered, which is kind of Satan's way of bruising his heel, but he's going to bruise, he's going to crush your head, and he's giving right off the bat, at the beginning of mankind's failure, that he's got a plan for fixing it. At the beginning, at the front cover. And you work your way through. Obviously, we're not going to hit all of them because it's in every book. But we, we work through some of the most familiar stories. When, when Abraham uh, took his son Isaac up the mountain to offer him there as a sacrifice because God says, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Obviously, we know God didn't really want him to kill his son. But what we see is the picture of Christ. Abraham takes his son up the mountain Wraps him up, ties him up, puts him on the altar. Abraham rears back. He's just about to sacrifice his son. And God calls out to him and stops him. And he looks over and in the bush, caught in it by his horns, is a ram. And, and Abraham realized in that moment, that's the sacrifice God's looking for. So he gets to let his son go free and he puts the ram in his son's place and the, the ram dies in his son's place. That is a picture of Christ. That's what he did for us. We all deserve to die for our sins, but Jesus came to die in our place. You get to the Passover and God says, I want you, the, the death angel is going to come through Egypt and all of the firstborn in the land are going to be killed. Unless you take the blood of a lamb and you put its blood over the doorpost, when the angel comes by, if he sees the blood over the doorpost, the angel will pass by and death will not come to your home. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. That lamb had to die in order for the Israelites to live. God is painting a picture from cover to cover in the entirety of the word of God, in the entirety of the existence of the human race. God is painting a picture. Here's my plan. 
That one day, death comes to all of us because of sin, but when the blood of Jesus Christ, when he died in our place, when his blood is applied to our sin, we don't, we don't have to face death and hell. We die physically, but we won't die spiritually. We go to spend eternity with him. There was a moment in Israel's history where they, they complained and they murmured against God. God was so upset with their continual rebellion that he sends poisonous snakes into the camp. And everybody, I mean, everybody's getting bitten by these snakes. I mean, we can kind of relate to a t- time of day where you're always wondering, uh, you know, who's, who, how many people are going to die today? That's what was happening. People dropping dead all over the place because of the bites of these poisonous snakes that had plagued Israel. And so the people begin to plead with God for mercy. Because that's all God wants for many of us. Confess our sins and our wrongdoing and ask him for mercy. Hallelujah. That's a simple salvation. We, we make it so complicated, but that's what salvation's all about, folks. Just acknowledge your sin. Ask God for mercy. And they went to God, and God gave mercy. He said, here's what I'm going to do. Now, God didn't have to do it this way. There's a reason why God did it this way, because he's painting this picture throughout time, cover to cover, of his plan to prove his love for us. So God said, here's what I want you to do. If you want to be saved from all of these poisonous snakes, he told Moses, I want you to build a a snake out of brass. Put that snake up on a pole and instruct the people that everybody who looks at that pole will be healed. The, The effects of the poison in their body will literally be reversed and they won't die. They will live. All they have to do is look at the serpent on the brass pole, the brass serpent on the pole. Jesus uses this exact same example later in the New Testament because it's a picture of Jesus. We've all been infected by sin, right? We've all been bitten, so to speak, and and sin is like poison to our soul. It's what destroys us. It's what leads us to death and all kinds of hardship in our life. Sin is like poison, and we've all been bitten with that. But God said, I I love you. I want to give you grace. And so Jesus said, the same way that serpent was raised up on a pole, Jesus Christ would one day be raised up on a pole. He would hang from a cross, bleeding. And every person who looks to Jesus on that cross for salvation, the, the effects of sin in our life are literally reversed. We go from ultimate doom and death to life. And the promises of God. There's a picture. You get into Isaiah. In fact, if you want to turn there, you can. I want to read some of this to you. Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah, I think maybe seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was ever born, prophesied a lot about Jesus and what his ministry would be like. Kind of like Isaiah 61 that Jesus read from. But if you read in Isaiah 53, I'm going to kind of skip through. I'm not going to read all of this, but read parts of it. But as I read this, I want you to think about it in light of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's ultimately what Isaiah is prophesying. Not not that the Messiah is going to come and conquer all the armies of the world and give us this life of euphoria. He's prophesying that the the Christ will come and die. That he'll be wounded, not for his own sins, but for our sins. That he will take our place. And so look at this. If you go into, uh, uh, let's start reading here in about, let's read in verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he, speaking of Christ, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's not going to be just this charismatic person that we're all caught up in how he looks and how he appears. He he, he is despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. Whose griefs? Our, you know what it means, born, carried. That's ultimately what we're talking about. He has carried our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted, he was wounded for whose transgressions? For our transgressions. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Our iniquities, our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. By him being beaten, that promises healing unto us. We all like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way. And the Lord was laid, uh, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He goes on, he, he did not open his, like, like a lamb, dumb before the slaughter, he went. In other words, he went to the cross never saying a word. Having the capability and the power to call all of heaven's angels to wipe out everybody who would dare nail him to the cross, he said nothing. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? How hard is it for you if somebody is just railing on you? Somebody's just falsely accusing you and they're slapping you in the face. How hard would it be for you not to say a word to them? Yet that's what Jesus did. Yet that's what Isaiah said Jesus will do. We're talking about the middle of the book. Jesus said, I am the content. I am the topic. I am the reason for everything. He died for our transgressions. He committed no sin whatsoever. Yet he was the one that died. Then we get into the Gospels. That moment in human history in which God became a man and walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. The apex of, of the entirety of Scripture, the heart of the Scripture, the Gospels, where we read about his birth, we read about his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, and then ultimately what he came to do, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Hallelujah. It's all about him. The entire New Testament points, or Old Testament points forward to the Gospels. Every book after points back to the Gospels. It's all about Jesus. Folks, there's one thing that has been a blessing over these past this past month and a half, the churches in this town have always gotten along good, really. I mean, I say always, I don't, I mean, since I've been a pastor, um, anyway, I don't know about times past, but uh, we've always gotten along good, and we, we stay focused on what matters. Paul said what matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in a world, in a religious world, in a Christian world, where churches are all fighting against one another and they got their little doctrinal points and their little issues here and their little traditions here and we get all worked up and we fight over it all and I know that it just breaks the heart of God. And so through all of this, you know, I know that as God has watched his people working together, focusing on that common denominator, which is Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, all that matters. What a refreshing, what a reminder to us to stick with the basics, amen? <laughs> to focus, when you're going through a situation Right now, you'll be surprised how much victory you'll get thinking about Jesus Christ on that cross for you. I'm serious. I mean, we're focused. We want the problem to be over with, and we're focused on fixing it, and, and, and rightly so. But, folks, every, every answer stems out of Jesus Christ. So our salvation comes from his work on the cross. Our deliverance comes from his work on the cross. Our healing work comes from his work on the cross. Looking at him, God said, just look at that serpent on the pole and you'll be healed. Just look at Jesus and really think about that he did that for you. It's amazing how that will change your life. It has changed many lives. That's what changes our lives. Not doing better, not turning over a new leaf. 
Right? That's what we say, or I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And all we're saying is I'm just going to go to another page in the same book. No, Jesus comes along, he rips that leaf out and just gives you a whole new book. His book. Hallelujah. And then we get into Revelation. Okay, that final cover. And here's what it says. It gives us a glimpse. It gives us a picture. We don't know every detail about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. But he gives us a pretty good picture of victory here. And I want to read this for you. It's in, Re- in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus allows John to kind of see this as a glimpse into the future. Now I saw heaven opened. Now think, this is the end. Okay, the world as we know it is stopping right now in this moment. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he, capital H, because this is referring to Jesus Christ, who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Can you get a picture of this yet? The sky filled with armies of those in white linens and white horses following the, the one who is going to be obvious which one Jesus is. Amen? He got it written upon his chest, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. In other words, there's going to be, there's about to be a lot of wicked men die and all the buzzards are going to eat good for a while. I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now that sounds funny. Who would dare make war with God? Yet don't we? You ever make war with God? I have. Every day we win. we're making war with God. We're at enmity with God. And in the end, literally the armies of God, or armies of hell will try to raise one more time. So you can see at the beginning of the book, Satan tried to overthrow God. He's trying to overthrow God throughout the entirety of the content of the book. And now here we are at the last cover and Satan's still trying to attempt to overthrow God. And what we find, encouragingly, is that that don't happen. The beast and the armies, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, and all the armies of hell gathered against this one who comes. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence, in his presence. By which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive uh, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the words were filled with their flesh. Now, there's a lot in this. I could preach on this for a long time. But let me say, here's the, here's the bottom line. As Jesus returns... It's not by the swords of men and nuclear weapons and all this kind of thing that, that, that God conquers hell and Satan and all that with. It's with the word that came out of his mouth. What was it? If you go back to the first cover, in the beginning, God created the heavens and void, and God said, let there be light. There was darkness upon the face of the earth, the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created, he started the entirety of the universe with his word, 
and it will be his word when he returns where he just, I don't know what word that's going to be other than he lost. I don't know. His word in which he declares victory and all of the armies of hell and everybody that has opposed him down through time drops dead. Jesus said, I'm he. I'm him. I'm the one. This scripture is fulfilled in your, in your hearing today. I am the cover and I'm everything in between it. So let me just bring it home to us. I mean, you say, okay, Dennis, that's great theologically, and that, that gives, me, gives me goosebumps. It's a great story. What does that mean to me? Uh, here's what I want to present to you this morning. If God, if God has shown absolute control in the universe all this time, from the beginning of the universe till now, he's shown complete control and has preserved his plan this far, all of those instances I talked about, it's God preserving his plan. Abraham and Isaac and the brass pole, all that. God has preserved his plan all the way up until Jesus died on the cross. And now to this day, he continues to save people from their sins. If God has been able to preserve his plan all of these years, despite how hard Satan has worked against him, despite how hard we've worked against him as rebellious mankind, then I don't think that the bad situations that arise in our life, we can be assured actually guarantee that the bad and negative and the hard situations that rise in our life will not derail God's plan now. God's got a pretty good track record. No, everything hasn't gone your way. That's not a failure on God's part because cover to cover the whole picture, God has got a really good track record. Nothing has derailed his plan. So whatever you're facing today is not going to derail God's plan in your personal life. It feels that way. I've been there. I know how it feels when, when everything is falling apart and it literally just feels like, it feels like I've come off the rails and, and, and God is just, man, what did I do to you? Only to find out that God is still working his plan in me. Hallelujah. Coronavirus didn't derail God's plan. Job loss doesn't derail God's plan. In fact, let me use an example. Randy, where are you at? There he is, back here in the corner. And I got permission uh, from him to, to use it. This is, this is how God confirms his word. Randy walks in the door this morning. I shook his hand and gave him a big hug. I broke the rules. I'm a rebel. <laughs> and we, we can talk a little bit. And he says, you know, about a month and a half ago, when all of this corona stuff started, he was laid off, his job. Everything slowed down. The economy slowed down. And so he, he laid off. But this is what, this is what, brought goosebumps. He said, I, I was worried about it for about the first hour. And then there was just, I said, I prayed about it. I took it to God. And he said, there was just a peace that come over me. And he said, I haven't worried about it since. It's been a month and a half ago. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God, that's what God can do. The situation isn't fixed. He's still trusting God and God's God. And I have no doubt whatsoever that God is going to work this out somehow. It's all going to, and he's got at peace. You know why? Because job loss cannot derail God's plan in your life. The loss of a loved one, a spouse leaving, sickness, you name it. God has always been faithful from the beginning, and he's going to be faithful to the end. What was, what, was he, what, what, what was he for our faith? The author and the what? And the finisher of our faith. Let me explain to you what the word sovereignty is. You may have heard the word sovereignty. What does it mean to be sovereign? Sovereign, it means ultimate and total power, complete power, no weaknesses, no capability of failing, 
complete and total power. Total control. Total control. So when life is out of control, God is not out of control. The devil wants us to believe that. It's all out of control, and that's not, not at all. God says, look at, the, look at the book. Look at the whole story, front to start. Front to start, front to finish. Front is the start. So front to finish. God said, when life's out of control, it doesn't mean that I've lost control. God is sovereign. He's always in control, always. And so our job is to be a good, be, to be a, let's, let's say it like this, let's be a good passenger, not a backseat driver. Randy's being a good passenger. Okay, God, this is yours. I'm going to let you drive. You know, and that seems like a hard thing to do, and it is, but at the same time, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. It is, it's what brings the most peace. If we can really truly believe that God is who he says he is, and that God will do what he says he'll do, the, the most peace you and I can have is to say, God, it's yours. I'm letting you have it. You've been faithful to me. You were faithful to me yesterday. You're faithful to me today, and I know that you're going to be faithful to me tomorrow. That's what Jesus declared. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not change. Cover to cover, always going to be the same. I'm always in control. Nobody likes a backseat driver, right? I know all, the, all of us men, it's a, it's a burden that we bear in life, right? I've, I've had, I have, every now and again, sweetie's a sweet person. That's why I call her sweetie. But every now and again when I'm driving, I can get a little annoyed at her. When she's trying to tell me where I need to go and, and how to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's, you know, and there's been times I've had a reminder. One time I said, sweetie, I said, the state of Missouri has issued me a license because they feel like I'm capable of driving this motor vehicle. So, and she didn't, of course she did, I don't think, you know, we don't always agree with the government, right? So, when you know where you're going, you don't want somebody telling you where to turn, or you just... And, and we try so hard to be God's backseat driver, you know, and we pull against him, and God says, I, I just want you to sit there and be quiet, right? Put your, put your headphones on. Listen to some gospel music and let me drive. That's what God's wanting to do in our life. The disciples, it's funny, the disciples were worried one time. They're on a boat, and they're going across maybe the Sea of Galilee, I don't remember, but they get to look, and, you know, there's 12 or 13 guys on this boat, obviously, you know, counting Jesus, and they get to realizing that, oh, man, we forgot to bring bread. They had a little bit of bread, but we didn't bring enough bread for everybody. How are we going to eat? And they're all worried about it. Jesus is going to be upset because we didn't bring enough bread for everybody. And the thing about it was, it was just a few weeks before that, that Jesus took one little boy's lunch. He took a little bit of bread. And you remember, he blessed it, he broke it, and he fed five, you know, between five and 10,000 people. And so Jesus is like, guys, dude, <laughs> how many... How many people did I feed with a small, if I was, if, if having a lack of bread yesterday didn't stop me, then how is having a lack of bread today going to stop me? What he's trying to get across to them is he, he's going to be faithful today just the same as he was faithful yesterday, and he's going to be faithful tomorrow just the same as he's faithful today, because he's the same. He does not stop. What he starts, he'll finish. God didn't get the... God didn't take the, the Israelites to the brink of the Red Sea, start them on a journey across the desert, and then just say, hey, good luck, guys. Hope everything works out for you. You know, the armies of the, the, armies of the uh, Egyptians show up, you know, and God's saying, oh, I, I didn't account for this. 
They got the Red Sea in front of them. They can't go forward, and, and the Egyptian armies are behind them. And God's like, well, hey, I, I got you started. It's up to you from here. No. God, God saw them through all the way to the promised land. All the way to the promised land. What God started, God finished. And we're on a journey to a land of promise. Amen? The moment you got well, born to begin with, obviously God started you on a journey of human life. A lot of people live that. But the day you got born again, the day you got saved and you looked to Jesus up on that cross and you trusted him as your savior, he started you on a journey. And he, 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 he was very upfront that in this journey, I'm starting you on this journey, I've delivered you from sin and bondage and I'm gonna take you to a land of promise. I'm gonna take you to heaven with me. There's a lot of stuff that can happen within the covers. There's a lot of trials and tribulations that we go through. And he never said that we wouldn't. What we have is not a promise that everything will be smooth. What we have is a good last cover. The end of the story will be good. That what God promised, he'll bring us to that promised land. The moment we walk into heaven, folks, every bit of it's going to be worth it. We'll see the whole picture better than we've ever seen it before. In, in Philippians, Paul is writing to a church in a, in a place called, the, the city was called Philippi. That always makes me hungry because I get to wonder what I want to Philippi with. Blueberry, you know, she's been anyway. Um, I've got all kinds of corny jokes pent up inside of me for a month and a half. You know, they get, uh, that just came out. I don't even know where that came from. But, so, so Paul writes this letter to, to this church, to the Philippians, and this is what he says to him, Philippians 1 and 6. He said, I'm confident. Everybody say confident. That's not, a, that's not maybe or I hope or it could be. I am confident. In other words, I know for a fact, without question, it's going to happen. I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am completely convinced that what God started in you, he's going to finish. He just needs us to trust him. He just needs us to love him, worship him, praise him, pray to him. Let his light shine through us. Just trust him every day. He will complete in us what he started in us on that day that Jesus returns. What did Jesus say from the cross? It's almost done. Hey, I'm getting close. It is finished. I, I, I completed the work that God sent me, my Father sent me to do, and that's to redeem mankind, to pay the price for their sin. It is finished. Jesus could have stopped at any point. And really, who could have blamed him? It's not like the human race was glad he was here for the most part. It's not that we even many times, you know, Jeff, Jeff was teasing a minute ago about, you know, sometimes we... Uh, we complain about, oh, I've got to go to church, I could be doing this, and things about that. And I, I don't think we get any sympathy from Jesus at all. He went through all of that, could have stopped at any moment. But he endured the cross, he endured the whipping post, the ridicule, the jerking of the beard, the crown of thorns. Every, all the way up to the cross and death, he endured, he went through all of it. He didn't stop midway when most of us, I, I would have. He endured it. He's the last thing he said. It is finished. I've completed the work. And, for, and because of that, because of those three words, 
That's why you and I can be saved today. Had he stopped short, we would still be lost in our sins. Jesus would have wrote half the book. We would have no idea what our future holds other than hell. But because he finished it, we can rest assured that we too will be raised. Amen? We too will have a new body, that we too have the promise of eternity. So right now, you're in this journey, you're in the desert, and you feel a little alone, maybe you feel a little afraid, I encourage you to do one thing. We don't, like to, we don't want to dwell on the past, but it is good every now and again to look over our shoulder and see, how, see the handiwork of God. Because it's easier to see back there for some reason. I, I look back, man, I, you know, there's situations now where we're cloudy, we're going forward, we can't see the future and stuff, so we're worried and we're scared. But when I look back over my life and I see things, I think, you know, if that hadn't happened this wouldn't have happened. And if that hadn't happened, this would, I mean, I would be a completely different person. My life would be completely different had this one thing not happened. And when I I look back at it, I think, there's no reason it should have happened. I mean, it's obvious to me now that God was orchestrating something to get me where he wants me to be now. Just look back. Look at how how faithful God has been. It's one of the things he got the most frustrated with the Israelites about because they would always forget what God had done in the past, kind of like the disciples We don't have enough bread today, but yeah, what did I do yesterday? What did I do yesterday? There's a, in in Revelation there, 117, if you read all of that, Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. So he's declaring himself to be the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, but he says, don't be afraid. Because I'm the first and the last, and because I'm the beginning and the end, because I'm Alpha and Omega, same yesterday, today, and forever, don't be afraid. I've got this handled. I've got it covered. Job loss, sickness, your own failure. Jesus, I got it covered. I I paid for a lot at that cross. If you were standing at the grocery store and you wanted a candy bar and the guy you're with pulls out a roll of $100 bills, you're not going to be wondering whether or not he can afford it. Right? You're just confident. He got this. You're bringing out your pennies and counting them, trying to come up with enough to buy the candy. You know, I don't have enough. And he pulls out a big old wad of $100 bills. It's, it's exactly the way it is with us. Our good works are pennies. Try to redeem ourselves. We can't do it. And we sit and we wonder, worry. We have to understand that God has, all, he ultimate, he's sovereign. Ultimate control, complete control. So when you find a situation in your life where you don't have enough, you don't have enough strength maybe to go another state, you feel like, I can't go one more day. I can't go one more step. Understand that God is standing there with a roll of $100 bills. Understand that God has more than enough to cover our situation. It's always going to be faithful. So let me bring it all home. Let me close with this thought. Jesus set this example. Jesus gives a, a bit of a parable. This is in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, which he has en- whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or a king who, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who uh, comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still in a great way off, he sends a, a delegation and asks 
uh, condition of peace. In other words, he bails out on the war because he realizes, I don't have enough to finish this war. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he, forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus, showing this pattern and being faithful to show, I'm, I'm going to finish what I start. So he brings it all home to us as individuals. He says, nobody starts a building project unless they know they can finish it, right? You think ahead and you want to make sure, that, that's the whole key. He says, starting something's easy. It's finishing, it's the hard part. But he's bringing it all home to us because he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me to the end. There's another place where Jesus said, whosoever endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So there's no place guys in in this walk to stop. There's no place to bail out on Jesus. Though Satan would have you come to the conclusion that God is not faithful, that Jesus is not enough, there is no place to bail out. Jesus said, you have to bear that cross to the end. Nobody starts on a journey without anticipating I'm gonna finish it. How many people walk away from Christ because things get hard? Or sometimes people walk away from Christ because things got easy. Life is good and I don't need God. I only need God when everything in my life falls apart. And let me tell you this. When when everything falls apart in your life, God's going to be there for you. (laughs) Absolutely. But God said, "I, I want you to serve me. I want you to determine in your mind to finish, to follow me faithfully to the end. Jesus was there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. We're here at the beginning. If you're saved, will you be there at the end? Will you remain faithful? Will you continue to serve him? That's what Jesus is looking for. Amen. Aren't you glad that God is more faithful to us than we are to him? How many times we've, we start, we get inspired, and we run hard, and we just kind of get, either get bored with it, or we get discouraged with it. We lose faith, lose heart. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be there at the finish line. How about we meet there? <laughs> Amen? Well, actually, he's running with us. How many of you ever seen, I know you've probably seen this before, but maybe somebody hasn't. Maybe this will help you this morning. There's an old, I've seen it on a picture on a wall, but there's an old story about a man walking down a beach one day. And he's, he's low. He's feeling everything in his life falling apart. He's walking along the beach. And Jesus appears to him and says, you don't have any reason to worry about it. And the guy looks, I'm, I'm just giving you the condensed version, but the guy looks back and he sees one set of footprints in the sand. And the guy begins to accuse the Lord and says, you weren't with me. There's one set of footprints back there. That shows me that I walked alone. And Jesus said, no, you got it all wrong. Those footprints are mine. I carried you through all of that. And there ain't no greater truth than that picture right there. He's carrying us. You're not going through life on your own. Every day, trust him for that. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, today, we look deep into our own hearts. And we can recognize our sins, our weaknesses, our failures, our fears, our doubts. Many times, our our accusations against you. But I pray this morning, God, as we gather here today, and having heard your word, that it would break every chain here this morning. God, that there would be such a hope to rise up in the hearts of every individual, that whether 
they're going through good times right now or whether they're going through bad times right now. Every challenge, every difficulty would dim in comparison to your glory here today. Father, I have delivered my soul. I've done my part in giving the word, but it is a work of your spirit that sinks that word down deep into the heart, that takes that word and begins to mold and shape and change, purify and cleanse. Let every heart be open here this morning. I pray that you would just bind every, every power, every spirit that would work against you today. I believe that nothing can hinder your work from being completed in this place this morning. If there's one here that don't know you, that's not saved, today, Lord God, would you become the author of their faith? faith? Just bring them to a place of salvation, God, that they can understand who you are and how much you so desperately love them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for being the God, being God from cover to cover never leaving us, never failing us. So many times, God, we as your people, we feel your hand. When our flesh tries to fear and wants to fear, that we feel that hand, that heavenly Father loving hand that comes and speaks peace to us, that assures us that you're close. Let us all experience that hand today, Lord.